ahead and have a seat and get out your Bibles, and I'm going to introduce to you our speaker today. Haven't we been blessed all summer to have people speaking to us and coming in and just uh, pouring into us this, this year? I'm so thankful to introduce to you uh, Jeremy Frazier, who he was here last year for the first time you were here. We've got, we got to meet each other just a few years ago. Under some pretty hard circumstances, God brought our paths to cross, and we are just so blessed. Um, Jeremy and his wife, Misha, and their five kids from 8 to 18 now, right? They travel around the nation in a 70-foot camper rig made in Elkhart (laughs) or Goshen, wherever, right? This thing is a monster, and they travel all over the United States um, preaching the gospel. He's an evangelist. He's in camps all summer long, and he's taken a break from his schedule, this busy schedule this year, uh, to come speak to us. Would you help me welcome, once again, Jeremy Frazier to our platform. Thank you. Hey, man. Well, Pastor sort of told the truth. It's not, I mean, it is 70 feet when you connect everything together, but it's actually, it's a real small trailer. It's 57 feet. And, um, and so uh, we're thankful as the Lord allows us to travel like that. As I, I would make the joke about we're trailer trash, but I also realize this is where all the trailers are built. So this is like, we're thankful. <laughs> And I said to um, I said to Danielle, um, uh, Bryce, Brooke, and Blair, they're they're uh, my relatives there, and and uh, so I was eating supper with them last night. And I said, you know what you know what this area is known for, don't you? And you know the normal thought is people are going to say trailers. And I said, no, 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 it, it's it's for rise and roll. It's the donuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Amish crack. I've called. I've heard it called. So. Uh, Very true. We'll take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5. Uh, It is a privilege for me to be back here, and it's kind of a whirlwind tour. Last last time I was here, I was actually uh, flying back from Alaska, preaching in Alaska for a couple weeks, and I had come back, and so my time was all whacked off a little. I mean, just really pretty bad. Uh, this time it's not <clears throat> it's not so bad because this time I've I've just came from Allentown, Pennsylvania. So the last couple of weeks I've been in uh, New York, I've been in Pennsylvania, and then we just finish up our summer ministry kind of tour as we're doing this. My family's right outside of Minneapolis area, just right into Wisconsin, and so I will fly later today out of Chicago um, to there. So I'm driving to Chicago, flying there, then I have to drive there and uh, get there, and then tomorrow we're we're going to drive from there and make our way down towards Arkansas, and then also towards. South Carolina, where I'm from. And uh, how many of you ever been to South Carolina before? In South Carolina? Okay, great. Uh, you've been to the promised land. And uh, <laughs> so thankful for my home state. I love my state. But I also love being out of the state, especially when it's in the middle of the summer of South Carolina. Um, well, here we are in Ephesians 5. And I want to take you to this passage of scripture I think can be so helpful for us in our spiritual lives. To me, this is one of the keys. I, I think this is one of the one of the, the founding things to understand truly as a believer. And, and so often, not do we need to just understand it, but we need to be brought back to it consistently. And so just to preach this message right away, uh, just even thinking about it brings conviction to my own heart. And so I think this will be a challenge to you. Ephesians 5, and look at verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? 
I think there's a lot of confusion in our world today on what that even can mean. But let me go ahead and open in a word of prayer. I want to really speak this morning on the spirit-filled life and what the scripture even says that that is for us today. And so it's my prayer, if you're, even if you're here without Christ, that you would see that there's, there's no way you could have this kind of power in your life apart from the spirit of God, which comes through knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. So let me pray and just ask God's blessing as we get into this message. Father, thank you so much for my friends here. And what a privilege it is for me to open up your word and to preach your word. Lord, your word is, is so powerful. It's, it's so sharp. It's like a double-edged sword. It pierces so deep, even to the very soul and who we are, lays us bare, exposes us. And God, I pray that for those who are without Christ today, that you would pierce deep and bring them to a genuine saving knowledge of Christ through your word. And for those who are in Christ, I ask God, would you use your word to stir our hearts that we would be people yielded and submitted to you and your spirit, of, your spirit in our life. And God, thank you for what you're gonna do. Would you please empower me? Lord, what good would it be if I'm preaching a message on being controlled by your spirit and, and I'm not? So God, I ask, would you take control of my own heart and life and as my mind as I would preach your word and that you would say things through me and use your word Lord, we thank you for what you're gonna do. Thank you that you use the foolishness of preaching to bring men and women to repentance. And so God, I ask, would you do that work even today? In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. As you look at this, this passage, before I kind of get into it, it was a number of years ago, as we travel the country, we're in different areas of the country consistently. And um, so we were in Florida, and at the time, there was this guy in this church, I think he was related to the pastor who was, who was there, and he wanted me to ride in his truck. He said, hey, man, you got to ride in my truck. And um, which, in one thing, if you think about what I do, I mean, actually, the majority of our travel during the year is in, like, truck and trailer. So for him to say, you got to ride in my truck, we're kind of thinking, what's the big deal, you know? And at the end of it, uh, at the time, it was probably Friday, I thought, I probably should ride in the guy's truck because if we don't ride in his truck, we're going to offend him because he keeps asking us every day to ride in his truck. So it was like a Friday afternoon. And so uh, we got into his truck and it was a nice truck. It was an, it was an F-250. It was a, a special edition at the time. It was King Ranch. And so it's kind of a nice cowboy leather and stuff and pretty neat. But even at the time, I had an F-350. So I had a dually truck. So it was kind of like, what's the big deal about riding in a 250. But anyway, uh, we get in the truck. I was, I was there with multiple other people and we're kind of driving down the road. And he kind of was, he's kind of laughing to himself. Like he was like, because <laughs> you know, older guy kind of laughing. I didn't know what he was laughing about. We pull onto the entrance ramp of the highway. And when we got on the entrance ramp of the highway, he put the pedal to the metal. I mean, I'm telling you, he, we, we, we were all thrown back in our seats. We're kind of holding on to everything, you know, around us. It's like the thing's shifting so fast and, and it gets all the way to the speed limit. As he gets to the speed limit, he kind of cruises at the speed limit. Meanwhile, you know, we're catching our breath. And, and at some point I went, whoa. I was like, what in the world do you have in your truck? Because your truck does something my truck doesn't do. Now, at the time I was pulling like a 43 footer that was about, 22,000 pounds or something too. So you're not, you know, you're going to be super fast if that makes sense. But I'm just, it was, it was evident and obvious about the power in his truck. Now I'm just going to switch gears for a second here to say this. Have you ever met a Christian whose life is characterized by real power? I mean, it's like the power of God in their life is evidenced. I mean, you think about the Christian life. Could you imagine where you have constant victory over, maybe you could say, life-dominating sins. 
You aren't living in your sins. You seem to rise above. Maybe you have real power to make an impact in your world or at work when everyone else is, is downtrodden in a sense or everyone else is, you know, is negative and here you are. It's, it's like you seem to rise above that. When it comes to witnessing, there's this boldness, maybe you could say in everyday witnessing, or maybe when it comes to even reading the word, that the word of God is fresh to you and alive in you. In many ways, you could say the list could go on and on, but really what I'm talking about is a spirit-filled life. Actually, here in Ephesians 5, Paul is the one writing here, and Paul, under the inspiration of the spirit of God, speaks about this spirit-filled life, and he would be the one to teach us. I mean, if you think about a life characterized by real power, well, then you, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And so when we look at this, I wanna ask you, you know, do you want a life that's characterized by real power? Do you, do you want a life that, that really has the power of God um, working in and through you? I would guess as a true believer, you would say, well, of course I do. Well, then what does that mean? And how, what, is, what is that like? Let me go ahead and start, start to unfold this a little bit to us. If we look at verse 15, I mean, remember, Ephesians is kind of an interesting book because it's, it's, it's so parted right down the middle. The first three chapters are doctrinal. I, I mean, they're so rich in doctrine. And I'm telling you, it's like, I mean, massive doctrine as you hit chapter one. It's like a little Cessna airplane flying through the Himalayas with these huge peaks of doctrine. I tell people, if you want you know, your brain, if you want your smoke to come out your ears, try to really seek to comprehend it all. It's, it's amazing, deep truths. You work in a, those first three uh, chapters are very doctrinal, but the last three are very, are very practical. You could say now it's our duty because of what God has told us. Now it's now how to live it out. So we're in this very practical section. And when you look at verse 15, here he goes with kind of a runny start within this idea here, but it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I mean, he's right away telling you, you you better be careful how you conduct your life or walk. And he's not speaking of a physical walk, like don't trip and fall, you know, or during the winter, it could get icy, you know. But he's talking about a spiritual walk. As you consider even the idea of walking that careful walk, it would be a military guy who's, 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 who's maybe walking through a, a landmine field, you know, where he's, he's very carefully taking his next step. Or maybe some of you, maybe you have friends who, who have some, some cattle or something like that, or they've got some kind of farm. And if you were to walk out in their field, guess what you would do? You would walk very carefully because they have their own landmines, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So you think about a world where he's saying to walk carefully, conduct yourself carefully, not like foolish people, but as wise. Look at verse 16. Making the best use of your time or redeeming it or buying it back. Why? Because the days are evil. I don't have to give you any illustration about that, do you? Just look around. But as you go even beyond that, notice verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So don't be a fool, but actually seek to know what is God's will for your life. And this is one of those that is just laid out in front of us. Sometimes the Bible says, this is the will of God. It's like the light bulb. It's like shining bright. And when you look at it here, this is one of those aspects of the very will of God. Don't be foolish, but understand what this will is. And here it is in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It leads to a destroyed life. 
but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're gonna take any kind of notes here, I, I kind of always try to make things super easy. I kind of, uh, for me, it's like it's simple to kind of be alert and aware. So I would say number one in this message is God commands all believers to be Spirit-filled. That is a command from God. Actually, as you look at this closely, I'm kind of a, a word nerd. I don't know if, a, you, know, if you are as you kind of dig into the scriptures. But, but when you look at this second part of the verse, but be filled with the spirit, that's actually an imperative. Now, what's that mean in the language? It simply means it's a command. I mean, God is clearly commanding all believers to be spirit filled. Now, wait a second, it's not just a command. I'm gonna kind of give you something else a little bit and not stick with me for this, but, but the other side of it, it's not just commanded, but it's in the present tense, which means it's a constant command. You know, there are sometimes commands in scriptures, you know, where it's a, a one-time kind of command and then there's you know, maybe with even ongoing results, but, but here is a ongoing moment by moment command from God to you. In other words, when you think about someone who's called to be born again, you're not called to be born again and again and again and again and again if you're truly saved. But you think about here, this is this command where God is, is not just commanding you at one time in the past that you would be controlled by the Spirit, but that you would be moment by moment being controlled by the Spirit of God. Now that's, that's different because you could have been controlled by the Spirit or filled with the Spirit sometime in the summer, um, but that doesn't mean you are today. I mean, you, you, you could even be controlled by the Spirit maybe in the morning, but it doesn't mean you are gonna be in the evening. And so this is a moment by moment command. Now, I would just ask this question. It's a simple question. If God commands you to be moment by moment controlled by the spirit and you don't obey that command, then what are you doing? Yeah, you're sinning. This is a command that we're always supposed to be controlled by the spirit so, the, so when we're not, we're actually in sin. And I think this is kind of like, when you start to study this out even more, you're like, whoa, like this, it starts to get a little bit more and more heavy as you look at this. But the first thing I just want you to see is that God commands all believers to be spirit-filled. But number two, the results are evident. I mean, yes, he commands you, but there's, there's clear results. Now, can I, first of all, just say, as we kind of look at this, we, we see the negative and the positive command in verse 18. I mean, clearly he tells you, don't get drunk with wine because that leads to a debauched life. So scripture kind of condemns drunkenness clearly, doesn't it? As you begin to look at this, and, and, and you don't need to even have kind of probably illustrations with that. I think about being in the downtown Greenville, South Carolina, where I'm from, and um, it was a number of years ago, and I came across this one guy as I'm talking to him about Christ, and, and he, I mean, he was drunk as a skunk, you know? And uh, the guy, is, he's toasted there. It's interesting because this guy was in tears, though, as I started talking to him about the Lord, because he says, I've lost everything. My marriage, my family, they've disowned me. I can't hold a job. And I live for my next sip of alcohol. I don't have a place to stay. That's where I am. You think about people who are controlled by some kind of substance, substance abuse, and the danger and the destruction it brings. It's awful. 
They don't think correctly, do they? they, they they're controlled by that. I, I remember, you know, years ago in college, at some point in kind of a downtown area, we were just kind of joking around and, and we were in the South there and we were gonna put we were gonna make this film, like something, it was just kind of a, it was like a dumb skit that we were gonna do with a bunch of friends with like the old school style of, okay, so it tells you how old I am, okay? <laughs> it's not the phone. But anyway, so it's like we were just doing this, this skit and, and as we were doing this to a downtown area, this, this girl stumbles out of a bar in the downtown area and she sees that we're filming and she says, hey, hey, give me on your film, give me on your film. Now for me to translate for you more Northerners than with the Southern language, she was saying, get me on your film, get me on your film. Okay, just so you know, okay. And she was just, she, she, was, she couldn't control herself. And in some ways that can be somewhat comical and kind of funny. But again, you put that person behind the wheel of a vehicle and people die. As a youth pastor uh, for a number of years in, in Tennessee, uh, there was a girl in our youth group when we got a phone call, it was in the morning and she was making her way to work and somebody with substance abuse crossed into her lane and, and hit her head on as a 16 year old. She was alive at that point and it was a bad accident. And so she gets, she calls her parents and says, I'm, I've been in this accident and the, the rescue workers are here and I'm, I, uh, they're taking me to the hospital. Here's the hospital they're taking me to. They said, are you okay? She said, I think so. I don't see any blood anywhere, but my stomach hurts really bad. As they took her in, they began to kind of assess her and they realized something was going on internally. And then they put her into kind of an emergency surgery, opened her up. And as they began to open her up, there was such internal bleeding within moments, she would pass away as a 16 year old. And to think about the pain and the debauched life of someone who's controlled by or filled with, with alcohol, the destruction. And yet he's using this though as an illustration because yet don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. And what an illustration, because again, a person who's controlled by the alcohol, what, I mean, they, they say things they don't normally say and, and they do things they don't normally do because they're being controlled by it. And I like to say it that way because I think sometimes when we think of filled, we think of a cup and just kind of, and it kind of overflows. And yet think of it more like the idea of if a person is filled with rage, they're controlled by their rage, and a person who's filled with the Spirit is a person who's controlled by the Spirit of God in their life. Now, as I say this, I say the results are evident, but I also would tell you, if you ever watch any kind of religious television, you can be thoroughly confused. You know what I'm saying? I tell people, you wanna be thoroughly confused? Watch religious television, because there are so many things that is kind of put out there that supposedly in the name of God, or especially the name of the Spirit of God, that's definitely clearly not the Spirit. I mean, I think of in the 90s, uh, at some point, or 80s, 90s, there was holy laughter. Do you remember that? It's called the Laughing Revival. And basically what happened, the pastor began to preach and stuff. And then, you know, it'd be like Phil preaching. And then all of a sudden people start laughing, you know, a little bit. And then pretty soon it's like everyone's laughing. Even the preacher's laughing. People are rolling on the ground laughing. I mean, I mean, we like spread this great laughing revival as American people up into, you know, Canada, down into Mexico, you know, it was like, and, and the whole point is, wait a second though, how can there be a laughing revival? No one can hear the word. And laughter is a good medicine, isn't it? It makes you feel good when you laugh hard. But the whole point is, is that really what it means to be controlled by the Spirit? I mean, is it, is it really, you know, that we need to have a kind of a faith healing service this morning, you know, and take off the outer shirt and I can swing it around and, and blow over the crowd and all that kind of stuff and have kind of this thing going on. I mean, you, you consider that. And I would say, can God do miracles? Yes or no? Yes. 
But, but I, my question is, who is the one gifted with miracle working in our modern day? Because you do see that early on in church history, but then it seems to kind of go away. And you're going to say, not that miracles don't happen, but you have these people that, you know, I mean, one modern day faith healer was raising money to build a hospital. Did you catch that? I'm like, if you're any good, go to the hospital. I mean, I thought I was reading a Babylon Bee. Some of you guys have ever read some of the satire? And it was during COVID and it was a, it was a church in Redding, California. And they were pulling out all their faith healers because of their you know, nature of where they were. They're out of the hospitals due to COVID. And I'm like, excuse me, but shouldn't you put them in there so they can heal everybody? It's like the faith healers during COVID seemed to kind of disappear. No one said anything. So you kind of think about that, or you think about speaking in tongues. You see people and they're speaking in tongues. And if you read Acts chapter two, verses seven through 11, you realize clearly tongues is a literal language, how they heard in their own tongue, the mighty works of God from where they were born. And then it tells you all the areas of the world where they were from and hearing the very word of God in their own tongue. And then one guy is kind of, you know, at some point is kind of making some kind of comments or maybe seeking to like speak, you know, in tongues of some sort. And I, so I asked, so can I ask you a question? What language were you speaking? Uh, well, it's a heavenly language with groanings <laughs> that cannot be uttered. Well, then how are you uttering them? And I, I tell people, you know, you can make the Bibles kind of say whatever you want it to say, but you gotta go back to what does it actually teach and say? Here's the number one passage in the scriptures that's commanding to be spirit controlled. So you would think if it's all these things, you know, healing service, you know, speaking in tongues or whatever it's gonna be, that it would be right here, but it shows you the results and it's not that. Look at verse 19. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. It's a person who's singing to the Lord, who's singing to even others and ministering to other psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You have, you have maybe in many ways synonymous, but psalms, literal psalms, they're singing. I mean, hymns, it seems to be you know, devoted and pointed towards God and who he is. And spiritual songs, maybe the idea would be there, would be almost like testimonial style songs. So even like it was going on this morning. So you have this idea, but yet for the Lord, and, and yet as they do this, what is this? If you were to consider, what does that mean? mean those, those things? What's he describing? And I think as you look at this fruits of the spirit, you would see he's clearly describing joy. When a person is controlled by the spirit of God, it is evident because they are joyful. Now, what's amazing is this, there is a big difference between joy and happiness. Did you know that? Happiness deals with the circumstances. You know, a long lost relative passed away. You get a phone call and they say, someone passed away. You know, I don't even know who that is. Well, they left you, you know, $10 million. You know, wow, it could be helpful, you know, I guess. Uh, you know, or maybe you go to the doctor and they, they say, you know, hey, the test results came back in. You're like, okay, doc, what did they say? Well, you're good. Everything's all good. I mean, keep doing what you're doing, you know, but I'm not really doing anything. Well, keep it up. You're okay, you know. <laughs> but the other side, you could get the other phone call. Test results came back. We need you to come in right away. You have cancer. 
If you start thinking about the, 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 those kind of ideas or, or you lose your job or whatever may happen, and that's happiness kind of goes ups and, up and down depending on circumstances, but joy is different. Joy is constant. I mean, circumstances could be really bad, but, you, but joy seems to rise above. When I think of it that way, it's almost like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. Now, you know there's a difference, don't you? A thermometer, when it gets hot, it just raises up, or if it gets cold, it lowers down. But a thermostat sets the temperature. I love thermostats, don't you? Because then it gets a little bit too cold, you kind of lower it down, you know, and all of a sudden the heat kicks on or, or, the, or vice versa. And yet you think of a person who's controlled by the spirit, there's a, there's a constancy, a consistency of, of joy in their spiritual life. Are you joyful? I mean, people that know you well, would they consider you a joyful person? A person who's got the joy of the Lord as your strength? And I wouldn't say just joyfulness. Look at the next verse. Because if you look at verse 20, it says, giving thanks. And again, then it has another word after that, giving thanks always. And you're kind of thinking, you know, Paul, you can't mean like always. But then he goes even further. And for everything. I mean, how are you thankful for a death of a loved one or a loss of a job? Or, I mean, seriously, like, like how, how can we be thankful always for all things? And we do it to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one second result or a second evident sign of a person controlled by the Spirit, it's not just joyfulness, but it's thankfulness. Now, what's the opposite of being thankful? Maybe you could say Complaining. So, so you, I'm gonna let the rubber kind of meet the road a little bit. Now, again, I'm, I'm an evangelist, so I can kind of blow in and blow up and blow out. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, you know, he has to, he has to deal with my, the problems, you know what I mean? And so I don't hope to leave him any problems. But um, do you ever complain? When's the last moment you complain? Today. <laughs> About what? Man, it's weather. It's rainy. It's hot. I mean, you start thinking of all the ways we can kind of complain. If my kids would just get in the car, you know. Um, the moment you complain is the moment you know clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are not controlled by the Spirit. Now, how often do you complain? I mean, you start thinking, you start letting the rubber meet the road here and this is like, ooh, ooh. And then it's not just the idea there, you've got even humility because when you look after that verse, it's like verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mutual submission. It's the idea of a ranking term where you place yourself underneath somebody so, that, so you're doing this in a, in a true way of humility, you, mutual humility. But what's the opposite? It's pride. And then you think about pride. You think about what pride brings, but by pride comes contentions or fightings. You have any fightings that go on in your marriage or in your family or you know, your assembly or you know, your workplace? And yet you, I think the idea of pride, is, it's a person wanting their own way. It's my way or the highway. We begin to consider this and go, wait a second. 
I mean, here is this evident sign of joyfulness and thankfulness and humility. We've got this whole idea of Galatians 5. I won't take you there, but, but verses 16 to 25 really speaks of the fruit of the Spirit and what that even looks like even in a closer way. But, you, but clearly, the results of being Spirit-controlled are actually evidenced by joyfulness and thankfulness and even humility right here in the passage. Again, nowhere does it say, you know, healing, you know, whatever, and all those different kind of, kind of things that we normally kind of associate it if you watch religious television. But then I would ask this question carefully. Um, And I wanna kind of go through who's here in this room probably as I ask this, okay? If I were to ask your spouse, now some of you are like, you know, you're like teenagers and you're like, Jeremy, I'm not married. (laughs) And we're like, praise the Lord at this point, you know? Uh, um, So sure, you're out of this one, okay? But if I were to ask your spouse, could you describe your spouse to me? Would they at all say anything about, man, you know, like he is so joyful. Like, I mean, it's like the, it's just constantly grateful. He's got this gratitude attitude. I mean, he's a leader, but he's a humble leader. He's, he's, it kind of reminds me of Christ. If I were to reverse it, and then it's talking about the wife, you know, wow, that, she is just constantly joyful. I mean, the, the joy of the Lord is just evidenced in her life. It's like the humility and, 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 and the thankfulness, again, that gratitude attitude. If I were to ask your kids, hey, can you describe your parents to me? In their description, would any of those words ever come in there? If I were to ask the parents, can you describe your teenage daughter or your your teenage son to me? Would they at all describe joyfulness, thankfulness, and humility? You see what I'm doing? If I were to ask your workplace and the people that know you and work well with you, I mean, would they see that? And I think what happens is we get this exalted view of ourselves and now all of a sudden we're kind of going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you realize this is what the results are, joyfulness and thankfulness and humility. I mean, if a person's controlled by the spirit, I mean, that's, that's the evident signs. It's like right in front of us. But there's a third thing that I want you to get, which really brings me to the key and to the answer. So if you've tanked on me for a little bit, don't tank now, I'm gonna give you the answer, okay? So, so what is that? Okay, what's the key? What's the, what's the, the reality here? What, what is it? Well, it's full surrender. Full surrender. It's total yieldedness to the spirit of God in your life. Full surrender, total yieldedness. Actually, if you look at this verse a little closer in verse 18, I, you know, I did make this kind of comment about, yes, it is a, it's a, you know, it's an imperative. So it's commanded. It's a constant command from God to you. But yet it's also something called passive. You say, what is that? And again, I am being a word nerd today, but But when it's passive, it means this, you can't do it. Now, I know what some of you, some of you are like, okay, Jeremy, you are like thoroughly confusing me. Are are you kind of telling me that God's given me this command that, that I can't do? I mean, and I'm actually smiling and saying, yeah, in and of yourself, you can't. And that's, that's why you have to yield to the one who can do that in you and through you. And so therefore, to be filled with the Spirit, the idea is even being read literally like be being filled with the Spirit. It's a constant, but yet you have to submit yourself to the Spirit in your life. Now, again, a person is a, who's doing this is, is constantly kind of surrendering their heart and their life to the Spirit of God and to, to, to the Lord. You're, it's like saying, God, here's my hands. I wanna work for you today. 
Or here's my feet where I go. I want you to lead me and guide me, my heart and the things that I think about in my mind. I just, I yield it to you. My life, God, my life is yours. And I submit myself to the spirit. So control me. But in many ways, as I say that, that kind of seems a little bit oblivious. Now I will also, I, I, let me say this. I haven't said a lot about this, but this kind of power is for only true believers. There, there's no way an unbeliever could ever experience this kind of power in their life because if you don't have the spirit of God in you, the Bible says you're actually not even one of his. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So you, you can kind of claim Jesus, but if you have, don't have the spirit of God in you, and when does that happen? That occurs at the moment of conversion, a moment of salvation, where you say, I don't want my sins, but I want Messiah. I want Christ to be my savior and king. Now, I do meet people that say this. They say, I don't want my sins. I mean, it's destroying my life and I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know if I really want Jesus. And I would say, well, then you're not ready. And there are people who, who pray prayers and the idea of praying a prayer just to, to kind of maybe get the person off your back or just because you don't want to go there. I don't want the judgment of God, but you didn't really want Jesus either. And yet repentance is a 180, isn't it? it it's like a change of mind that leads to a whole change of direction in life. You're, you're not just saying, I don't want my, I want, I, but I embrace Christ. I want Christ as my savior and king. And the moment that happens, the spirit of God comes and resides in you. Actually, you are possessed You really are, but you're not demon possessed. You're God possessed by his spirit. At, that's why everything changes inwardly and then outwardly. I mean, your, your life is different. I mean, you, you saw that from, from, from Mark 5 a couple of weeks ago, the changed life on the demoniac. And yet you begin to consider this. Again, this is for true believers. And yet it's this constant yielding to the spirit of God. Now, I think the problem with that though, it still seems a little bit out there. Like as you kind of deal with it, you're kind of like, okay, it's almost like, you know, the fog rolls in in the morning. And if I were to be outside and say, hey, you guys, hey, kind of catch some of that fog. You'd be like, <laughs> like it's, it's hard to hold on to. You don't see the spirit, do we? But we see the evidences of it. It's like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the evidences of the wind. But can I give you something more concrete? Take your Bible for just a moment here as we're seeking to conclude this message, but go to the book of Colossians. Ephesians, then Philippians, and then Colossians. And it's Colossians chapter three and verse 16. This passage here says it this way, Colossians 3, verse 16. These are little, little letters. The epistles are letters. That, so you kind of work your way through that. So now we've got Colossians 3, verse 16. And it says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, wait, wait, wait a second. The word of Christ, actually you could say the, yeah, the very words of Jesus, or you could say clearly the word of God itself. Let it have a rich dwelling place within your heart and soul. Can I tell you, it does not have a rich dwelling place when you hold on to your sin. But as you remove sin in your life as a believer and don't grieve the spirit, all of a sudden it's like the word of the Lord begins to just, I mean, it, it begins to change you. 
It begins to be alive within your soul. I, I remember at the age of 17, just a, a major shift in my own life. I'd come to Christ when I was younger, but at 17, it was like I finally just went, okay, I'm not fighting anymore or resisting. I'm just yielding to you. And I begin to confess and forsake sin and I begin to read the word. And it was just such a, it was just alive in my heart, in my life. It's like a, just a daily time with God where you're, where you're seeking to know who he is and what he says and obey him. But notice what it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what'll happen? teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. That kind of sounds really familiar like the other passage, doesn't it? I mean, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thanksgiving. And whatsoever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Then it begins to speak with relationships. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh against them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Fathers, don't provoke your children. I mean, you start looking at all this, slaves and, and masters. I mean, the idea here is, it like affects all of your life, this humility, joyfulness, thankfulness, humility. And in this passage, it doesn't say to be controlled or filled with the spirit. But this passage is telling you to be filled or controlled by the word. Or maybe you could put it this way. To be spirit filled is to be word filled. Or maybe I'll even make it more clear. There's no way you can truly be spirit-filled if you're not consistently in the word. And in a very practical way, are you in his word? Well, uh, Jeremy, I brought my Bible to church. I mean, it's on my phone. You know? (laughs) But are you daily in the word? Are you pursuing him? I mean, this, this is what we need. We need to yield to him and the word of God. What does it say? What does he mean by that? Are we responding to him? Are we the ones who rule our life or is he really king? We can sing about it and we can praise him. We can, we can even act one way Sunday morning and something so different some Sunday evening or, or Monday. And yet that shouldn't be so, should it? We, we need to be submitted to the spirit of God and, and the word of God in our life. So, so really that's, that's the idea here. You can't really be spirit-filled if you're not in the word. So to be spirit-filled is to be word-filled. I did have a conversation some years ago with this guy in Hawaii and the guy told me this. He said, hey, well, you know what? Sometimes the spirit of God kind of directs me to do things that's contrary to the Bible and I gotta, you know, you gotta follow the spirit. You catch the error? Yeah, that's what I, right away I did too. And I said, no way. The spirit of God never calls you to do things contrary to the Bible. The spirit of God and the word of God go hand in hand perfectly. Amen. Now, as I say this, let me kind of bring you back. Remember how I asked that guy, I said, hey man, what's in your truck? And the guy said this way, he goes, well, it's chipped out. I said, chipped out, what does that mean? He goes, well, you put a computer chip, you know, in a, in a diesel engine. He goes, and the, and the truth is when you put that computer chip in, you'll get more horsepower and you'll get even better fuel economy. And I went, that's like, that's a good one, you know? I mean, I understand you can get more horsepower, but better fuel economy too. He goes, I'm just telling you, you know, that, that's what it does. And, you know, in a diesel, now a gas, he says, engine, it, you know, you can get more horsepower, but you won't get the sense of fuel economy the same way. But I'm like, you know, well, that's kind of interesting because I had a diesel. And so, you know, <clears throat> wasn't sure if that guy was telling me the truth. So I, I went back and I, and I Googled it. Because you know everything on the internet's true. 
And I am kidding, okay? So uh, some of you are like, really? No. So anyway, I, I, I actually searched it out and it was weird because I'm thinking either everyone's just lying or this is actually really for real. So I think I did what any normal male would do. I, I saved me some money. And I bought me one of those chips, you know? I put it in my truck, you know? And, and I remember even when I kind of like put it in the reader down there and I'm like, okay, F350, you know, the year, make, model, all kind of stuff. And, and then all of a sudden it kind of gave me three options. One was like tow economy. One was like a, a second option, like a, I don't know, intermediate or something. And then the advanced kind of option was, was extreme, you know? And um, so at that point I'm like, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tow, I want to tow better. I want better fuel economy. I put it on that one and I could hear the engine as it's running going and then I started to drive it down the road and I'm telling you it was like spunky and I'm watching my fuel economy you know I think pulling the trailer at the time I could get maybe six to nine or something like that you know (laughs) and then um then with the the chip though I was getting more like nine to twelve pulling that trailer and I was like oh wow I kind of increased actually without the trailer before I was getting maybe 15 but now I was getting closer to 20 I'm like this is pretty amazing I mean just in a short amount of time it paid itself off I think of, you know, soon after that, I went and, and um, it was the summertime and I was working with a camp at one point and this, my friend Ben, I said, hey, why don't you ride with me? And before he got in there, you know what I did? I, I, I thought, I wonder what it would be like to ride it on extreme. So I kind of put it on there and you could hear that engine go, like it really was different. You know, I'm barely touching the pedal and it's like, I mean, it's really moving. So, so I knew I couldn't drive it that way consistently and I wasn't pulling anything. It's pretty flat in Wisconsin where I was. And so my friend's in the vehicle and I said, okay, here we go. You hold on, okay? And I, and I was turning 141 south towards Green Bay. I was north of Green Bay. And right when I did, I put that again, I put the pedal to the metal. I'm telling you, we're like, I mean, it's just shifting so fast, you know? It's amazing. Black smoke's kind of shooting out, probably straight deep. But it's like, you know, and I'm like, whoa, you know, we're kind of going so fast. And then I get to the speed limit there and I kind of cruise at the speed limit. I'm just smiling real big. I look over my friend and his eyes were like huge, you know? And, and he looks at me and goes, that was awesome. <laughs> What's kind of crazy about that, I still got better fuel economy than before the chip, even in doing that trip, you know? Now, I know some of you are thinking, so you're like, Jeremy, do you like sell these? I mean, are you like, you know, a, a sponsor? No. Um, And it really isn't about the chip, but it is interesting because you could have the same truck, same make and model, same engine. Actually, another evangelist friend actually had the same truck and he knew that mine was chipped out. And at one point we're kind of in this, kind of this country roads coming back from someplace and he pulls up beside me and and he knew that mine's chipped out. I mean, the same years, everything. And then I just kind of looked at him and smiled. You know, it's like he's eating the dust. And he laughed. Um... But I say that because you can have the same truck, same engine. But why is one more powerful and more fuel efficient? And in one sense, you could say, if you've got the spirit of God, if you're in Christ, you have the spirit. But what was going on with the truck was that one of those engines was yielding to the chip. It was, it was responding, you could say, in obedience to what that chip was telling it to do. And so it was more powerful, more efficient. And you start going, oh, I can see that. Again, two believers, they both have the spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the spirit. But the question is, is not, is he your resident, but maybe is he your president? Does the spirit have you? Today, does the spirit have you? 
Are you fully yielded and submitted to the spirit of God in your life? Consider this. Could you imagine the outflow? Could two people married and this joyfulness, this thankfulness, this humility, I mean, both in the marriage, that would be like an amazing marriage, wouldn't it? I mean, constant joy and thankfulness. Think of a family this way. I mean, joyfulness, thankfulness, humility. I mean, even the teenagers. And I mean, this would be an amazing exalted marriage of just pointing you to the Lord because in the end, think about your workplace. Everyone else, we don't pay enough. And you're like, it's changing everything because you, because of the joy, and it's not phony. It's not a put on, a, you know, like a phony. It's real because the word of God affecting you consistently and you're yielding to the spirit of God. Can I tell you in the end, what are they really seeing if they're seeing the joyfulness and thankfulness and humility? Because the spirit of God always points people to Christ. He always exalts Christ. And I'm looking at it here and just saying, could you imagine this? Our world may never come to, they may, people in your world may never come to church here. They, they, they may never open up the Bible, but they read you and me every day. You know what our, our world desperately needs to see? It needs to see Jesus. Amen. My prayer that today you would submit your heart and your life to the spirit of God. If you're not saved, we would call you to Christ and we have, there's gonna be people that can help you. In between these services, we, we wanna help you if you don't know Christ. If you are in Christ, then the truth is, then it means you have the spirit. So now submit yourself to him. Maybe commit your heart even to the idea of being in the word and, and walking with God. That would be every pastor's dream. That he's got a group of people who, who, are, who are in hot pursuit after God and his word and applying it to their life. It would transform your life. It, it would change your whole year. And my prayer would be that, that God would help you to be spirit-filled and me the same way. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you for how kind you are in our hearts and our lives. I thank you that you give clarity through your word. And in this simple message today, I ask, would you please plant it deep in us? That it wouldn't be something that just goes in one of our ears and out the other, but we would submit ourselves to you. Or there are some in this room and they have been resisting or some online who they just resist the spirit of God and what you're doing to them or on them. And yet we need to submit ourselves to you because you are king and you are Lord. Lord, may we not resist. May we submit fully to you. May we experience that life of what a true believer is and the fruits of the spirit be evidenced in our life. And God, I pray, would you please use this message, not just for today, but for even eternity in our hearts and our lives. Would you do that, dear God? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to meditate on what we just heard, give you an opportunity quietly before the Lord to respond to him. As we do that, I'm gonna turn it over to, to Pastor Phil. While we're here in this moment, examining ourselves, here's a truth a truth of the Holy Spirit, that one of the main jobs is for him to convict us when there is sin, to convict us when we're out of alignment, to convict us when we're not filled with the word and the spirit. And I have been convicted today What do we do when we're convicted? How do we get victory when we're not walking like we're supposed to? 
it begins with humility to admit it, to acknowledge the conviction of the spirit and then to repent of that, confess it, and then to turn from it. And then you can walk in newness, you can walk in joy and you can walk in thankfulness and you're walking in humility at that point. So let's all stand. And let's just before the Lord right now, talk to him. And confess it. Thank him, thank the spirit right now that he's put that in your heart and in your mind. You know what you need to turn from. You know what you need to lay down. You know what chain needs to be broken. You know what sin you have to stop in order to be filled by the spirit. I would just encourage you right now to thank him for the conviction. Confess the sin to him. Right now. And tell him that you'll turn. Make the commitment to turn from that and to walk away from that sin and to leave it in the dust because you're walking in newness. You're gonna walk out of here today leaving that behind right here in this place. And when we do that, which we're doing right now. I hope you're doing it right now. I am. Then we will be living in the fruit and, and bearing the fruit of a spirit-filled life. I just want to say before we walk out of here that some of you might be stuck and you don't know how to do it and you need some help. We, our prayer team is gonna be down here in the front. You might need to say, I just need a little extra something to help me. I need an encouragement. I need an encouraging word. I need somebody to pray over my situation or I don't know what to do next. We wanna help you with that. And when everyone's walking out, you can walk down here to the front and we'll help you with that. You might be here today or listening online and you know you don't know the Lord. Today can be the day of salvation for you, where you humble your heart, and for the first time, you repent of your sins. You're feeling the conviction of the Spirit that we're talking about right now. And you can turn from your sins today. You can repent of your sins and make the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life and be saved today. And if you don't know how to do that, if you're online, you can reach out to our prayer team. After the service, you want help with that, you can come forward. We want to help you find the Lord Jesus for the first time. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your servant who preached it, that he was sensitive to the spirit to speak it today. It's exactly what my heart, you know my heart, and you know that I needed help in three different departments, and all three he brought into focus from your word, and your spirit's conviction came and Lord, I want to be spirit-filled. 
We all want to be spirit-filled. We want to walk out of here full of your spirit, living the fruit of it before others. So I pray that you'll give us the strength to submit, the, to, the strength to make the adjustments that we need to make in our lives so that we don't keep walking back into our sinful behaviors and our attitudes, but that we will always walk in your word, in the truth of your word, in the light of your word, so that your spirit can fill us and use us. Help us as we go from this place to just proclaim, Lord, awaken the city with a revival type of living that comes from God's people living their life, living the spirit-filled life out loud, which will bring a change to our world around us. Use us in that way and to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremy, thank you so much. God bless you all as you go. And if you do need help, you want to come to the front. We're here to help you. God bless you. We love you.